Welcome to the Wicked Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Dubinsky. What makes someone a wicked writer? On this podcast, you'll hear from writers who have something to say with a little New England twist. Wicked Writers is your outlet for lifting up your voice and expressing your most creative self. Whether you write for fun or professionally or don't know where to start in your writing journey, Wicked Writers is here for you. I hope you enjoy the conversation and stay wicked. Wicked Writers, welcome to the pre-Super Bowl podcast. Yes, uh, I'm going to pretend to know things about sports or at least talk to people that do. I'm pretty pleased that I know that Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay, as many New Englanders love to call it, and the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be playing in the Super Bowl on February 7th. I'm very pleased to uh, introduce you to my fiance, Sasha's brother, Dan Kagan great dude in his own right, of course. I'm biased. Uh, he worked at the Metro Daily News, which is a local paper in Framingham, for six years as a sports writer and editor, where he met our other guest, Tim Whalen Jr. He mostly covered high school sports as well as four seasons as the Bruins Beats reporter for the paper. He has since transitioned out of sports writing in the last five years and graduated in 2020 with a marketing analytics degree from Bentley. And we have Tim Whalen Jr., a sports journalist with 15 years of experience in the field, spent 11 years at Metro West Daily News, from correspondent to weekly editor to staff writer to Patriots beat writer and columnist. He did a two-year stint in Denver as a sports blogger with USA Today, and he served as the regional director for Gatorade's Player of the Year through Three Step Sports. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> and he returned to the Wicked Local family in 2018 as the regional director of sports, where he's overseen the digital transformation of the sports department in Eastern Mass. He grew up in Metro West, graduated from Tufts in 2005, and he currently lives in Westford with his wife, Alyssa, and their adorable two-year-old son, Luke. Welcome, Dan and Tim. Thanks for having us, Rachel. Yeah, happy to be here, Rachel. Thanks. And thanks for editorializing on adorable uh, <laughs> I do what I can. I try to keep it uh, free flowing. So tell us a little bit about some of your favorite memories, whether that's working together or separately uh, as sports reporters. Tim, we'll have you go first. Well, thanks again uh, for having me on. Hello, Dan. Good to see you, buddy. Hey outside the newsroom or, or anywhere really I, I don't you know we haven't done many zoom calls it's been a while yeah. it has been a while i'd say together uh on that note we we spent a lot of time on on the desk a lot of nights um and that's not necessarily as a as a writer um that's more in an editorial role and and being at a a mid-sized daily i'll say a suburban um daily paper and not to say that the big city people uh, <laughs> don't wear a lot of hats as well, but we had to, uh, you know, we were, we were oftentimes editors before we were writers. So we had to get a paper out slash paginators slash, you know, the old um, Quark. I think I taught, taught Dan Quark, MS Quark, you know, the, those days where we were like 
agonizing over, you know, a, a widow or like empty space on a headline at like 1158 before the thing has to go out at midnight. So that was a whole different world. So Dan and I had a lot of good memories. Um, just, you know, a lot of late nights where you just get a little goofy on the, on the sports desk. But I'd say individually, uh, my favorite memory has to be, um, I covered uh, three Super Bowls, but the third one was the, the Patriots won it. So a team I grew up loving and you try to separate yourself um, definitely while you cover the team from your love for the team as a journalist, but, but seeing, um, and I, and I had a whole story ready to go for them losing because it looked like they were about to lose in the final seconds, but they ended up um, pulling it out on Malcolm Butler's interception. So um, being out there for that, uh, being able to experience uh, the week or at least half of that week and, and, and being there, uh, you know, right in the locker room right after or right outside the locker room where they did the interviews, I had to run down this stairwell because there was a backup at the elevator and got down and got some interviews and got back up and wrote that on deadline. So that's definitely my, uh, my best memory, I'd say. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking as you're saying that, Tim, like all of the late nights and I think deadlines are like the big thing about newspapers, which is probably like, you know, as newspapers kind of shrink away, right? Like we're not thinking about that. But yeah, like we had midnight deadlines for pagination, but then you also had to have like your story in by 1045 or whatever for a game that would end at 1032. And if you got your story in at 1046, somebody was going to yell at you. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> so sometimes exactly. you were yelling at me and sometimes I was yelling at you. In two versions of the story, right? Yep. Yeah. What, what did they call it when you had just a flash, right? That was what a flash. Uh, yeah. For, yeah. for uh, one star, the first, yeah. for the first plate, I guess. Yeah. yeah. That's some good newspaper lingo right there. One star, two star. What now does I, that mean? So one star <laughs> would be like the first version of the newspaper that goes out. Like it has to be like done by like, I don't know, 1030 PM say, but then the next version would be the two star. And that's the one that goes out at like 12 o'clock. And then there might be a third star that goes out. That's the final version. Right. But I don't think we're doing like, I don't know how many papers are doing that anymore. Cause right. That was like, I, I think the city papers, I don't need to name the names, but like, you know, to get it in Maine or, you know, the globe, whatever, uh, to, to get the, that, the, the copy of uh, the globe in Maine, to get the trucks going, the prints going and to get the trucks, to get those papers to, you know, mid coast Maine or whatever, by the morning, you're, you know, you're getting that thing out by eight or nine or whatever. So yeah. you might not have, you have to have a, uh, you know, a feature that fills where the game story has to go. So it's all just the, the paper has to be laid out in a certain way and you have spots to fill and it's, it's got to get out, you know, by hook or by crook, no matter if you have one person on the desk. Or by not. hook or by crook there. Stan, about uh, your favorite memory as a Bruins reporter. Yeah, so I covered the team for four years. So I covered right after they won the Stanley Cup in 2011, um, which was 10 years ago now, oh my God. Um, all the way through 2015. And the, so the first event I ever covered as the Bruins beat writer was the opening game when they won, they got the Stanley Cup banner and everybody got their rings and all that stuff. Um, and I remember I wrote a column for like the front page of the whole newspaper, which was kind of crazy because I was like 23 years old. And I wrote this like, here's like the state of what happened at the Bruins game. And I'd never been to a Bruins game before as a reporter. So it was different. And then the last event I covered that was kind of a capstone was the Bruins firing the GM four years later because they had mm. completely fallen apart that season. Mm. So there was like this wide spectrum of highs and lows. I think my favorite event that I covered was probably the 2013 playoff when they played Toronto in the first round. And Tim, you'll remember this. They, they were down four to one in the third period of game seven. And this was going to be the last hurrah for the, the Stanley Cup team. 
and everybody's writing their obituary, including myself, you know, on deadline. Um, and then they come just storming back and score three straight goals and win the game in overtime. And everybody's like, oh my God, this is shocking. Um, and I just remember there's there's a, a 15 minute break in the playoffs in the NHL between the end of the, the regulation and the start of overtime. And I had to completely rewrite my story in those 15 minutes. And it ended up coming together really well. Um, so that was kind of ex- like a fun moment as a sports writer when it all comes together like that. They don't always, but that was a fun one. Delivering under pressure. Yeah. Rhymer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rhymer, the, the goalie there, yeah. Uh, Rhymer was the goalie for Toronto. Lucic scored a couple goals. Bergeron scored at least one goal, I think two. Um, so you picked up on something on. interesting, Dan. How does it differ to be a fan versus a reporter at a sports game? Yeah, so you have to be, there's a big role in the press box is no cheering in the press box, which obviously when you're a fan, you, you know, you're supposed to be going crazy and drinking beers and eating popcorn and, and being as loud as possible. And when you're in the press box, you have to be, you know, uh, a third party person. They get really upset at you if you start cheering. So that's, that's kind of one of the biggest things, I think, when I first covered a game. Like, I knew that because I had covered other events, of course, but not just Bruins games. But that was, like, the big thing was everybody is just like, okay, you have to be super quiet and, you know, just respect the game. Um, that was the, probably the big change for me. And honestly, you kind of have from – I don't know how it was in football, Tim. I think at, at Gillette Stadium, you guys are kind of in the corner – but at the garden for Bruins games, you're like way up top. So you're like watching the replays as much as anything too. Yeah. It's, I, I share that no cheering in the press box uh, with you, especially, I feel like there's an old guard of the Boston media, especially mm-hmm. like, and they know who the young guys are. Everyone's kind of got a read on that. Um, but you'd, you'd be in certain environments and, and there was some cheering, you know, here you hear from big college football reporters that if you're at, Notre Dame or something like that, that they've, they've got a reputation, whoever's in the, because the press box isn't always just neutral press. It can be just people who are affiliated with a school, but sometimes maybe they are, they do write about the team. So yeah, I remember the New York, uh, the, the Giants Patriots Super Bowl in Indy. Um, there was, there were some yelps of, of happiness from, from Giants people at that time. And, and that was one where I had to separate myself as a fan because it was really a, you know, tough loss for the Patriots, but uh, I was proud of the, the column I put out, I remember it on deadline on that one, because um, it, it was, it was a tough moment for everybody, but there was a little bit of, there was a repeat of uh, four years before they had lost to the same team. It was also a, mm-hmm. you know, Patriots have all the success, but it's funny that their three losses have been to Northeast corridor mm-hmm. um, teams and cities that, that we share a lot in common with, with a New York and, and Philly. So as these people, it's a lot of bragging rights that, that those, um, you know, those fan bases and those teams have over, over the, Patriots so um but but yeah to, to Dan's point it's it's definitely uh much more silent in the press box a lot of the time than it is uh, outside of it so to back up a little bit what were the things that caused you to get into sports writing in the first place yeah I'll, I'll uh, go with that one um I'll say I was not um someone in high school that that knew what I wanted to do um I knew I was going to kind of try to be a good student, use uh, what I had, the hooks, you know, I was an athlete, extracurricular, you know, you, you, I was a lector at church, you know, stuff like that, um, to get into the best college and then figure it out uh, from there. Um, and I'd say it was about my sophomore year in college, I just found myself 
recreationally doing a lot of reading um, online. And, and I had grown up with the Globe and you kind of learn from people who've been around the country, even that, that the Globe sports page was a little bit of a gold standard. And you're, you're, you're like, well, that might be biased speaking because we're all from Boston and it, it might be, um, but you did, there were just so many great writers who ended up national who come through there. So I'd read that growing up, but I'm not like from a, a family of, of writers, I would say, like a lot of people go into different fields. And, um, but then I'd say the guy I read and, and I'm, <laughs> you know, Dan probably knows who's coming, but like a Bill Simmons, uh, who was writing, he, he had a very distinct style that I hadn't seen before. And he could ramble and he just really got to explore the studio space with his, with his content. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, it was just off the top of his head. So one thing I had to learn was once you get into print journalism and, 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 actual journalism where you have to talk to people you can't just be free forming things off the top of your head you have to back them up with with uh talking to the people who are actually involved so he you know i know he does that as well um and uh but i would say yeah he, he reading him and then um getting involved in my daily paper um in college uh that that was a big a big thing for me and and that wasn't even for course credit or anything you just you just kind of do it as an extracurricular at college and and i just went from there i knew i i really didn't see myself doing anything else. And here I am, however many years later doing that. And Dan, yeah. your dad is mm -hmm. a writer, you know, mm -hmm. reporter, editor, yeah. all the things. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. So yeah, I mean, my whole family, like my dad worked at Providence Journal and then Worcester Telegram and Gazette um, as a writer, mostly as an editor, but also my mom worked at a newspaper briefly and back in the 70s my sister oh, this who's, is news to me yeah. about your mom <laughs> yeah. very briefly um and my sister who was of course on the podcast earlier she's of course a writer and published author um so it is in my blood a little bit um but I mean I think all of that said like Tim mentioned Bill Simmons was an influence for me too um I think it was interesting because he was kind of coming up at the time when it was kind of non-traditional ways to get to be a sports writer were really becoming prominent. And he was kind of like at the vanguard of that. So you had, you know, the guys like Tim mentioned the globe, you had Bob Ryan and Diane Jan Chognacy. And, you know, for me growing up in Rhode Island, you had different writers at the Projo Providence Journal who had, you know, come up through the traditional way of doing things, but it was clear like that was changing in, you know, 2000, 2001, even we could already start to see like digital was coming, online was coming, newspapers were, um, you know, still big then, but we could all see the signs were coming that they were come be coming less and less to what they are today and probably continue on. Um, so I think it was really for people of, you know, my and Tim's generation, like, you know, seeing someone like Bill Simmons and he's kind of a controversial figure now in some ways, but I think for, in many ways, he's still like been a huge influence on a lot of people that are in their thirties now um, who gone into sports writing. Right. I don't think you could talk to anybody in our age category who didn't in some way, shape or form be impacted by that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of some of the big influences and yeah, similar story to Tim, like then I went to college, I went to BC. Um, sports was something I was really passionate about. So I started writing for, for the paper. I did an internship um, at the Telegram and that was some of the things that kind of led me to starting at Metro West in um, what, 2010. So Tim, take us behind the scenes of covering the Super Bowl and how you think it's going to be different this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the fan experience at home um, 
won't be much different. So, so for the vast majority of people, you're gonna you're gonna tune in at six six o'clock on on that Sunday, and, and you're gonna see a product on the field. The the crowd will look different and everything, but but um, there will be people taking action on it on the side. There's Super Bowl squares. There's snacks. We're all pretty homebound anyway. You know, it's gonna gonna be not that different in that respect. But um, the first one I covered was in Indianapolis, uh, which. Uh, I was just happy to be there. You could have put it anywhere on the moon, you know, whatever. Um, and I would have um, been ready to go. So, but I didn't, I didn't expect, I didn't know what to expect out of Indianapolis. And by the accounts of people who had been to other games, they said, this is an unbelievable super, super Bowl city. It did help that it was weirdly in the sixties all week. And um, it was really uh, centrally. It's just the kind of city that's like a grid and the, the stadium is right downtown and all the activity um, was going on within five or six blocks of the stadium and the hotels were right there. And you're just, you're around so much. You just, by the end of the week, you walk by uh, a celebrity or someone you've seen on TV and you don't even think anything of it. At first you're kind of starstruck. Um, I'll say I ended up my, my, uh, I had a hotel room. My, my father came and stayed with me that night. We went to the Pacers game and he said, good night. I had a friend who, uh, <laughs> had a hookup at, at, at this one party at the Rolling Stone uh, magazine party. So I had, I had been kind of doing the media thing. You meet people on media, read a media row, you, you talk to them. And, and I did some stories off that because I was writing things for all the gatehouse papers. I ended up at this thing that band LMFAO, if you want to call them a band, was, was, was playing. <laughs> there, was, there were giant champagne bottles being thrown around. I ended up in this VIP area. I'm standing next to Aaron Rodgers had just won the MVP at a ceremony. John Hamm is right behind me. You know, you're, you're just like, okay, I, I have a game to cover tomorrow. I came here to cover this game. You, you've heard things about the Super Bowl, but I was like suddenly in it. And that was a, a remarkable experience that I hadn't seen coming about until about an hour before when my friend had texted me. And it, it had turned out that his cousin knows Chris Evans, Captain America. So yes. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, I suddenly like, was just yeah, like, <laughs> crazy, crazy. So, um, so yeah, that, uh, that was, that was pretty stellar. And then the day of the game, the energy, nothing beats it. Um, you know, this is 2012 and you go through a bunch of security checkpoints and you get to your seat and, and you're just, uh, you're kind of in awe uh, that you're there at, at the Super Bowl because it's just this thing. Um, it's like seeing a celebrity uh, for the first time, like just someone you've seen or thought about more times than is healthy. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you're suddenly a part of it. So, uh, and then the adrenaline to be able to write a story on deadline in that atmosphere. Um, it, it was, nothing's, uh, nothing has matched that, I don't think, um, in my career. I mean, I've covered a lot of big games of the Patriots, um, you know, on the home, at home, on the road, but uh, something about, about those, those Super Bowls. Uh, so I hope that uh, answers your question. Are you sad that uh, Tom left and they're not in the Super Bowl this year? Not sadness, uh, you know, we've we've lived it for so long that uh, it's, I, I, I have my thoughts on how it was all handled, but sadness at what he's doing, no, I'm happy for him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's earned everything. And I don't know exactly um, if I would have handled the way the Patriots did uh, the same way, but, mm -hmm. You know, I'm not in their shoes and, and it's it is a business. So they made a they made a tough decision and made a gamble. And right now it really looks like they're <laughs> not on the <laughs> it they're did not pay off. on the losing end of that, yeah, that gamble. Um, but 
we'll, we'll see how it, how it goes with time. But, but oh, yeah, you, you asked about the Super Bowl, how it's different. So all that stuff I mentioned isn't happening, I don't think, in Tampa. I think they're going to give out a lot of tickets to, to um, like, healthcare workers in the Tampa area or stuff like that. So it might be like a, like a Tampa home game in, in some respects. I don't know, Dan, do you know how many people they're letting into there? I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, it's, Florida, it's, not. So it's probably higher than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four. We're allowing four individuals. <laughs> I, I, I heard a good comparison when they were talking about Tom Brady and leaving the Patriots and going to Tampa Bay is like, it was basically like a marriage breaking up, right? Like 20 years of like Brady married to the Patriots and Bob and Bill. And those six Super Bowls though, are like their children. So those are never going away. You know, they're, they're, we're always going to have that. And there's always going to be a relationship there. But now Tom's got his new girlfriend and they're trying to have a baby now. Yeah. So, you know, you're happy for them and you support him. But it's also like, you know, we've still got, we, we still had our great history together. And that's, you know, when people look back and they say like, you're going to remember your six kids, and your wife, not, you know, your sexy new girlfriend. So <laughs> I like, which kid of the six is, is the, the runt? Like which, oh, which kid? That's a great question. I would say number six. I mean that, you know, right. Super Bowl, what was it, 53? against the Rams the second one against the Rams that I mean that was kind of a bad game that's a bad game but I would I would argue that to get to that amid all the turmoil that was happening at the end that would be that's like true some big marriage goal yeah. in year 20 when you're going through a breakup and that's you true. still are able to insert an out I don't know what yeah you know, Maybe I, I'm, I'm only in year five of my marriage six, so <laughs> Not that any Super Bowl is forgettable, but like 30, what was it 39 against the Eagles? That was kind of a whatever game. Right, right, right. The other ones were all like unbelievable finishes. They were. And that one, they still, right, they still only won by three, but yep. uh, they got a little, Terrell Owens had, probably was probably the MVP of that game if, they, yeah. if the Eagles pulled it out, yeah. So Dan, what do you miss most about sports writing? That's a great question. Um so now I've transitioned, as, as Rachel mentioned at the top of the podcast, to being more into marketing and uh, doing uh, more business-to-business technology, which is uh, more stable and less deadlines, which is nice, um, or at least less deadlines at midnight on a Saturday night. Um, but I do miss there's there's something about the camaraderie that you build up with the other people on on the beat and other people in the office. I mean, you know, Tim and I haven't worked together in five years, but we're still friends and um, still, you know, have a group chat going every day. Oh, I know um, this group chat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> every time there's a game on, I'm like, I know who he's texting. Exactly, exactly. Um, so those are the kind of things that'll never get replicated. And I mean, people from the Bruins and there are all these experiences that you have that you'll just never have, you know, working for a uh, you know, technology company, which is great for a Monday to Friday, nine to five job and all of that. But, um, you know, I was glad I did it. I'm glad I, I got to experience that part of my life for, for six years and got to kind of achieve some of my goals that I wanted to do. Um, you know, covering the Bruins and covering the Stanley Cup. I mean, I was literally the, when the Bruins played in the 2013 Stanley Cup final, the, the Chicago won the game, game six to win the, the championship. And then I remember I'm, I'm down in the press room after re- writing my story, like 11.45 at night, and the guy who won the MVP, which comes with this huge trophy, uh, was walking to his press conference, and he just puts the trophy down right in front of me to take off his skates. This is Patrick Kane. The power you had in that moment. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let me lift this and run away. 
<laughs> I definitely took a picture and tweeted it of the right. Tom Smythe trophy being literally, you know, two feet from me. Um, but he was just, you know, probably had already had like four beers before he'd even come off the ice. So he was That's... kind of out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Will you notice if... Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but That's... with that said, you know, I think things have changed since you've left and definitely want to get a bit into the 24-hour news cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Timmy, yeah. Oh. Um, you know, I'm curious for, for you. I mean, we talked about how newspapers have changed and how it's become more digital. I was curious for you, you know, when you write a story, you know, when you would write one as a, as a newspaper writer covering the Patriots, you know, the paper comes out the next morning, but by then it, it could be old news, um, right. but you still got to write about it. So how, how did you kind of tackle that of, you, you know, know, a big story, but it, it could be old news by the time it's in the paper? Right. Well, now we are... Uh, I know that it was all it was preached to us to be so digital first, but the the print responsibilities were were heavier, and we still putting out a paper. But our deadlines have moved to to an afternoon at, at least for our entity, and I think a lot have as well. Um, there's less printing presses, and that's about trucks getting around New England. So um, we have to really you plug in to print what you can, and you still want to put a good product, but it's not necessarily the breaking news getting into print. Um, you want it almost to be there's a magazine style element to the print product now, whereas everything that needs to be breaking news, newsy is on the site. Um, that aspect can be challenging as far as simply staffing, uh, making sure someone's around to handle something when, when you're up at eight and at 8 p.m. Um, so, and I'm up <laughs> before eight with a two-year-old, he's a, he's a six o'clock riser, um, but which, which helps. I, I get some things up from the night before that, that we might not have gotten to, but um, yeah, I think that aspect of it that um, we're not as obsessed with making sure uh, that, that the next day's print edition has, uh, you know, the, the up to the minute stuff. Um, but we do want to make sure it's on our, on our site and done in a, in a creative way on the site, right? Not the, the 700 word or however many inches, uh, column inches that is gamers. It, that stuff is so yesterday. So we find different ways. We find little, uh, you know, players of the week, player, players to watch. And that's the stuff that gets people reacting and, and mm -hmm. you know, gets people not only clicking on the site, but like subscribing um, because you, the end game is to get people to pay for your product because yep. we need to keep these places afloat. And thriving, not just a float. <laughs> yeah. Both, mm -hmm. both and. Um, and what are you guys reading? Are there any good sports podcasts that influence you? Or, you know, you talked a bit about the writers, but uh, what are you tuning into? I, um, right now, sports-wise, I, I, I fall back on, um, there's, well, there's one that, I actually get newsy in the morning. I, I go um, with the New York Times, the Daily, and then up first um, from NPR. But ESPN has actually started one. Um, say what you want about ESPN. They've started a podcast called the ESPN Daily hmm. that I love. And it's they they only they focus fully on one story for about 20 minutes a hmm. morning. And um, I can't remember who the host is, but he, he, he does a great job. And uh, so that one that one's one I like. I mean, uh, you know, to, to channel the kind of millennial, more playful side, it's pardon my take. 
which is uh, these these two, you know, guys who who do a great job of, uh, you know, taking the fun uh, or or in, injecting the fun or finding the fun in, in sports and and entertainment and comedy and and so that one's about three times a week that that I enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't listen to podcasts that are like newsy like tim said like for me like i might listen to a podcast when i'm in the car or it might be like days after it publishes so i haven't done too many sports podcasts but the one i like is actually like the 30 for 30 podcast Mm -hmm. Uh, everybody probably knows 30 for 30 is like the documentary films on espn that started like 10 years ago um but they didn't they started a podcast a couple years ago that's pretty good um and they actually just did one that was really good it was about um march I forget the date, March 11th, maybe of last year, which was like the day that basically everything started shutting down. And they like interviewed like the governor of Oklahoma who was at that Thunder game Mm. where the players tested positive for the first time and he had to decide like what they're gonna do. And he talked to like Doris Burke who was like the sideline reporter for ESPN and she had COVID but she didn't know she had COVID until later. Um, It was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And The Ringer has a sports podcast as well. Yeah. I know you listen to that. I listen to a lot of Ringer ones, not as many of the Bill Simmons podcasts as I used to. Right. But they have a lot of good ones that are. You Kevin know, Clark on the NFL. Is great. What's that? Kevin Clark on the NFL. Uh, yeah. The Ringer is a really good. Uh, Pablo cool. Torre is the host of that ESPN Daily one. I was trying to think. Okay. I like yeah. him. Yeah. He's good. Um, and isn't Nora Princiati now on the NFL one too? Yes. Yes. Awesome. It's entertaining. Yeah, yeah, I think she's, uh, yeah, she was the Globe Patriots beat writer for a couple of years. She's, she's great. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting to the end here. And wow. what some advice? I know it flies by, especially <laughs> when you guys are talking about sports. I was like, I might not know that much, but I'm just going to let them go. Uh, what moderator. advice? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> the mod, the sports moderator. Yes, I am the sports moderator. How did we get here? Um, What is your advice for people who are looking to get into sports writing? So this one, um, you know, the the easy answer, a lot of professions, right? When someone says it, it's like, don't, if it's very hard (laughs) for the opportunities um, aren't, aren't bountiful. Um, often uh, as anyone who's kind of been paying attention for for full-time work depending on what realm of of sports media you want to be in and there's a lot of realms if you're someone who's dead set on being a newspaper journalist I got news for you like you know it might work out for you it might work out for you if you're good enough so I don't ever want to you know judge anyone's talent from afar but uh, it's not anyway that that aspect of it but you have to be multifaceted uh, more than anything. I think, um, you know, with any profession, it's an uphill climb, but this one, just because I've been in it, um, you know, that that doesn't change. So, but I'd say just be well-rounded. Um, but if you want to be a writer, I think uh, sometimes a lot of young people go in and they're like, I'm going to do video. I'm going to be very active on social media and all that. You want to make sure your writing is on point first. I think that it starts with that. And, um, I think that once your writing is there, then you'll be taken seriously and then everything else will fall in line. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's my answer to that. It's just, you know, know the different, really the little things, hammer out the little things of your writing. It might seem, especially when you're in your twenties, you know, you might have a, you might feel really confident in, in the stuff you wrote for your school paper and everything, but 
I remember being humbled early on my first like hard edit at, at Metro West and they would, you know, I'd say, Oh, the team would go on to, they say, just say the team went on to, or mm-hmm. this team was able, this guy was able to, they say, just say he did. Don't just mm-hmm. eliminate uh, jargon and, and words you don't need in your writing. And then, um, and then you can move into all the different um, other realms of, of sports media or media, you know, whether it's sports or anything um, that you decide to get into. I agree with that. Like, there's no shortcuts, right? Like, you can't just go in and say, like, oh, I'm going to be an Instagram star for sports writing. And I think probably there are some, like, younger people who are trying to do that now. I I do think it's, like, to Tim's point, it's valuable. Like, yeah, like, newspapers, maybe that's not the best career choice long term um, for anybody right now, especially if you're 22 years old or whatever. Um, But there, it might be a good idea still to, to try to get your start at a newspaper and cover like go out and cover a high school sport. Maybe you're a college intern, you know, go out yeah. and cover. Be happy with freelance work. Be very happy with free. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like that's one of my things I wish I had done was been like gone and tried to get an internship at the globe when I was like 20 years old or something. Sure. Um, Cause that would have been a great opportunity and I would have gotten a lot of experience and working with people. I mean, I did have one at the telegram, right. um, but yeah, I think it was at the globe my senior spring. Um, yeah just, yeah just like once a week uh mm-hmm. but you learn a lot you're around a really robust sports desk i think back then there were like 25 people in yeah. the sports department on a friday yeah. night it was, it was wild yeah and like i know there's a lot of talk like i think you should always be trying to get you know a paid gig like don't like value yourself and, and make sure your work is valued um financially because i think it's a slippery slope if you start taking free gigs and you don't get anything out of it um but also you should be willing to take a lot of jobs because, you know, when you're starting, like just getting a lot of reps under your belt, you know, to use a sports term is really valuable. Um, <laughs> so that that's some of my advice, I would say. Um, and I've also seen like some of the big shots in sports media. Like I think it was Adrian Wojnarowski, who's like the ESPN's NBA guy. Another great podcast, by the way, his pod, the Woj pod is great. Oh, okay. I haven't listened yeah. to that one. Um, I think it was either him or, or Adam Schefter, who's like ESPN's big NFL guy. They're like the two big sports news breakers probably of their, their leagues. Um, and one of them said like, you know, this needs to be like your life if you're gonna do this, like 24 seven, you've got to do it. And I would say, do not do that. Um, like, <laughs> you will burn yeah, out. Cause, yeah, you'll cause burn there's only out. one of them or they're, you know, if, unless you wanna be that guy or girl mm-hmm. or woman, um, you, you can. But, uh, can, but those like, guys are speaking really from such a position of power. Yeah, they're speaking from such a position of power of, of they've made it and and their model worked for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say work-life balance so important, especially for us working the night guest with desk like for so many years. Trying to find that um, it's it's a challenge and and uh, <laughs> the deadlines moving moving up helped that yeah. a little bit. And working from home because we all have to now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what are you going to be doing on Super Bowl Sunday? And I think I know who you both will say will win, but we'll see what you say. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think I know who we're both rooting for. I don't know who who we both think will win. So I think um, I'm at, I, I, I know it's a little ways off. So, uh, you know, this isn't, um, don't set this in stone, but I would, I actually think the Bucks ha, uh, will win this because of the home aspect. And there's a specific thing that happened in the Chiefs AFC title game. Their um, 
guard, I believe Eric Fisher, one of their important linemen, who was the number one pick a while back. I think they drafted him as a tackle. And I don't know if he, he was just not a big name when they drafted him. And it was another regime ago, but uh, he's so valuable to their protection. And granted, the Chiefs are insane outside of the tackles as far as who they can get the ball to. So, but based on what I saw from the, the Buccaneers pass rush mm-hmm. against the Packers, Again, Patrick Mahomes is, a, is magic and could make me my words on this, but if they're able to uh, to penetrate up front the, the Bucks on the Chiefs O-line, which I think is, I think three-fifths of their Super Bowl line isn't isn't there this year. Um, so that aspect of it, the game in, being in Tampa, just not wanting to bet against Tom Brady, <laughs> I think. That's why uh, I said what I said. <laughs> and they played, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, but I, Anyone else, if the Chiefs were playing anyone else, I would feel confident the Chiefs were going to win this. Uh, but something about the Bucs, I, I, I think they can pull this out. They had a close game in the regular season. I think the Chiefs won. Um, but but I'll, I'll take the Bucs. I'm not going to give you a score, though. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Tampa will keep it close. Tampa will keep it close. Um, <laughs> you know, every Super Bowl he's ever played in, it's been close, really. It's always come down to the last five minutes. Um, so I'd be surprised if this was a blowout one way or the other. I think Kansas City is probably the more talented team, like and like more like players in their prime, right? Like a lot of Tampa's players, I think, are older, like not just Brady, but some of their other guys too. Um, but they're at home, which is a new factor. Never had that in the Super Bowl before, so that's fun. Um, so I think I think Tampa will pull it out at the end. Maybe maybe another overtime game. Feeling similar, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tom's also never had Bruce Arians as his coach in the first. That's know. true. Didn't the Patriots have some, there was some remarkable stat of the the nine that Brady played in. I don't know if it lasted through the last, through the Rams Super Bowl, but that they never scored a touchdown in the first quarter of any of those Super Bowls. Yeah, no, well, the, the in the last Super Bowl, they didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. Right, right. right. I, I don't think the Patriots have, in all nine, they didn't, yeah. you know, it was, it was a poker game. I actually remember the Giants game when he, he had a safety in the. In the right, exactly, yeah. Some some betters uh, put some money on that and made some big money on that. Yep, we'll be here. And do you guys have a favorite dish that you eat during the Super Bowl? I um, I think I've perfected. I would like to say perfected. And um, I, you know, I'm no master in the kitchen, but I have a nice buffalo chicken dip that mm-hmm. I, I plan to make. Get some Stacy's pita chips with that bad boy, and uh, <laughs> ready to go. well, I'll challenge you to a buffalo chicken dip. Which makes a great buffalo chicken dip when oh. COVID is. Mm-hmm. Oh, and chili, Alyssa. You know, in Denver, we won the chili cook-off in our building two years mm-hmm. running, and we left uh, there. They probably haven't. Uh, no, we never got to defend our title. We moved out of there before we could defend it for a mm-hmm. third time. And Daniel. That's a good question. What did it, what did we make last year? We made chili, and I made peanut butter chocolate treats. Oh, that's really good. But I don't think I'm going to do those treats. this year. Those are good if for you have the a big two party. Of us? Yeah, not just for the two of us. No. I mean, that's like there's twenty like it's like like uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, but like bigger and thicker. And if you have like three of them, you feel it for like six hours. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think we'll be doing that. It depends on how COVID desperate times yeah. we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to thank you both for coming on and talking about 
all the sports ball things that I don't know about. My <laughs> eyes may have glazed over in that last part about the O-line and those things. <laughs> um, but it's great to hear your stories, to talk passionately about writing and what you guys did together and what you've done separately and go Tampa. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for listening, Wicked Writers or Wicketeers, as some may call themselves. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.wickedwriters.org. You can visit us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can look up Wicked Writers. I'm also on Threadless selling some merch and hope that you like... Uh, the show enough to buy some merch and that's wickedwriters.threadless.com as well as we have a newsletter i try and keep it uh, weekly or bi-weekly trying to not flood your inboxes but sometimes i can't help it and the website for the newsletter is wickedwriters.substack.com and as always feel free to email me at hello at wickedwriters.org stay wicked